real quick, um, I spoil the mess out of, or I drop spoilers for not only Hellraiser, I essentially talk about the whole movie, but I also drop a few spoilers that I didn't intend to drop for um, House of the Dragon and Interview with the Vampire. If you've never watched the movie Interview with the Vampire, read the books, I spoil it. Just a, I, I dropped some spoilers for episodes ahead, and I apologize for that. Um, and I definitely spoil the mess out of House of Dragon the house of the dragon so you might want to just skip to the 25 minute marker um 20 25 minutes if you want to miss those spoilers okay all right now to the show I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. I think I said recorded, but you know what I meant. Anyway, <laughs> this episode, I watched, um, I guess, is it is it Hulu's Hellraiser now? Did they produce this thing? Anyway, I watched Hellraiser, the 2022 version, on... Um, on Hulu, and I, I want to talk about it. I think I'm going to give it credit, more credit than probably it deserves, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. But first, um, okay, so a couple of things. I got to get a couple of things off my chest. Um, first, let me just quickly talk about uh, both um, interview with the Vampire, the series, the AMC series, and um, House of the Dragon. Okay, so Interview with the Vampire is just getting better. Although this last episode, I was annoyed at Louis. Um, I was annoyed, but I was still um, intrigued because this episode, he met Claudia. And so, you know, it was interesting... I think I was, uh, yeah, I'm not annoyed at the writing because, again, the story, I like where they are in the story and I like how they're handling this thing so far. Um, I'm just, I'm just annoyed. And if you remember watching the, the movie, the 94 movie, or if you remember reading the, the book, then you know there's a certain period where, you know, Lestat got his way. And he convinced Louis to be with him, like coerced him into being with him, let's be honest. And because he was enamored with him. But Louis is, why do I keep saying it weird? Louis, let me just say Louis. Louis is his own person. And we didn't get to see that in the 94 film. I don't know what the book was I don't know how the book portrayed it, probably much better and with more depth. But in the movie, Louis, uh, um, Brad Pitt's Louis was whiny and insufferable. In the, um, in the movie, or in the show, in, in the AMC show, Louis is 
tormented. And, but Louis was tormented before, but for a different reason. Whereas in the 94 film, his wife had died, his wife and child had died and he was a junkard. In the new one, not only was he battling with his own self-identity, but as a gay man trying to muddle his way through, but he was also grappling with the idea that he really, he's protecting a family that the only person that he really cares about, well, two people that he cared about, his father, his, 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 um, sister, his brother passed away. Um, and his sister is the only one that he really cared about. He did not have a good relationship with his, with his mother. And so this, this latest episode kind of gives you a preview of what the future will look like in terms of Louis being able to hold on to things. Like in the movie, it was more so Louis holding on to his humanity and simply his humanity that he didn't want to be a vampire. But in the show, it's not just wanting to be human. It's also those connections and, again, those obligations, familial obligations, um friend obligations and y'all know Lestat don't have no friends the only friends he has are the ones that he makes makes be friends with him and the only friend he has right now is Louis that he but he coerced Louis and that's that's how Lestat do he coerces people into relationships and so Louis hasn't figured out that He's been, well, he knows he's been coerced just yet, but he's not mad about it just yet. And so this was a very interesting episode. So I invite you to go watch this last episode um, in preparation for the next. Because again, we meet Claudia at the end. That's not a spoiler. You know, if you saw the film, there's another person that comes in that um, Lestat... Lestat, in trying to appease Louis and to not lose him, again, manipulation, instead of just listening and and making space for him, he treats him like a child and gives him a toy, essentially. So anyway, this is going to be an interesting mid-episode or like mid-season something or other, right? Because what are we on, six? I don't know. Six or seven, I don't know. But let me switch to House of Dragons. Anyway, I'm, I'm, ve- I'm still very pleased with, um, with Interview with a Vampire because the, the show is going to be able to explore many more topics and go way further than the film ever did. Um, and I know people are still complaining about the changes that the writers have made. But you're not complaining about the story. Because if anything, it's adding more depth to the story than was told in the 94 film. But anyway, let me move on to talking about um, the House of the Dragon. So this pace is both breaknecklingly fast and slow at the same time. These stories are getting on my nerves. Um, I know that this last episode was meant for shock value. And at this point, I was spoiling... Actually, I spoiled both, and I'm going to leave a spoiler note in the show notes because that's my bad, right? But the most interesting thing in this whole episode was Allison showing feet. Like, that was the most interesting thing about this whole (laughs) 
this whole little um, episode, and it's like nine, and it's it, it, the season ends next Sunday, next episode. I'm not invested. Like I'm invested in the story, but I'm not invested in the show. And so what I do, what I did, is I went to TikTok to listen to the people who've read the books because this is annoying. Um, especially how the thing ended with the dragon and a certain auntie. Um, yeah. <sighs> Just the, again, I'm, I'm tired of the Battle of the Beckys. I'm tired of it. And I'm saying Beckys. I'm not saying Karens. I didn't grow up saying. I'm talking about the Battle of the Beckys. Who, uh, the, between Allison and Rhaenyra, who are so delusional and think so highly of themselves that they will just do reckless things. It's annoying. I'm hoping that they're better written in the books. Mind you, it, it's clear based on what I'm listening to that Alicent was always going to turn into an unlikable character and Rhaenyra was always going to turn as well into an unlikable character. It just, it feels like based on what I'm listening to, it feels like there's more meat. There's more, there's more story that's added obviously in the books than in the show. And again, I just, mm -mm. mm-mm, mm-mm. Like, I'm going to be honest with you, the most charismatic person in the movie, in the show, to me, is is uh, Damon Targaryen. Everybody else is kind of whack. Well, that's not, that's not true. What is it? The, the, Crispin? Mm, that's, that's the Crimson? Sir Crimson? It, um, uh, Allison's bodyguard. Anyway... He's interesting, but, and for, I don't like him, but he's interesting. Damon, I didn't like him in the beginning. Why am I growing to like him now? Like, they're interesting. I don't like how the show pits. Basically, it's Battle of the Beckys, and I hate it because these women have more depth to them than you're showing in the show. But right now you're just making them seem bitter and power hungry. Oh, also, yeah, that's, and I think, I don't, I don't know who's in the room. I'm sure there are women writers in the room. I don't know what they're thinking about. But this setup won't do. It won't, it's not, it's not a good one. I, I hope, I wish the show success, but I wish the writing better. Um, or that the writing gets better because this isn't something that I enjoy anymore. So anyway, um, there's a piece of me that wants to go read the books, but that's going to take me a whole long, that's going to take me a long time. So I'll have to think about it. Um, but the story sounds real good, like real good. And how we get to the end, I like, I already know how, I already know how this whole thing is going to end because I've been watching, binging videos on TikTok. The how they, they get there is the thing that's going to be interesting. But I don't know that I'm interested in watching three seasons of mediocre writing. Or, or maybe not mediocre writing, but um, haphazard scenarios. Like, because not every episode, not every scene in the show sucks. It's just, 
men, yeah, Allison and Rhaenyra are, and Rainey's, oh gosh, anyway, like she's becoming super annoying to me based on the ending of um, the episode. Like, I, I listen, I know you want to stretch things out. I know you want to set up for this long old battle, but baby, you need to keep us invested in right now. I'm not. I was so invested in the story that you laid because you, again, you're moving, you moved super quickly and now you're going to slow the thing down because they're, the battle, you have to, you have to depict the battle. So let me just tell you what's going to happen. So, I'm not going to tell you all the details. I'm sorry. I'm not going to spoil everything, but you know that the battle is happening, right? There's going to be a battle between Rhaenyra, um, Allison and her people. And I think there's going to be a third battle that pops up. Um, and somebody's got to be a winner. You know how this thing goes. Somebody's got to be a winner. Um, and, and in true fashion, what I would say is, I imagine it's going to be bittersweet. It's going to be bittersweet. And then again, there has to be a setup. There has to be a setup to uh, Game of Thrones, right? There has to be a setup um, because we got to get to Danny um, or Daenerys. We have to get to Robert Baratheon. And actually, so I'm eager to see how his family is introduced and we have to get to the Starks. I'm, in, I'm eager to see how the Starks are introduced because again, when Daenerys was a child, um, her brother, or was that her brother? One of her brothers was still um, moving and shaking. I remember Robert Baratheon killed him on the battlefield. But before he killed him on the battlefield, field, he was married to um, to John's, uh, not John Snow, but um, oh, dude. Stark, uh, something Stark. I can't call daddy's name, but anyway, something Stark, the Stark guy, the, the hand of the king at the time. Um, yeah, he was, he, uh, she was the, she was married to that. She was married to the Targaryen, which was Daenerys's brother. And, um, she was the sister to the Stark. So, <sighs> We know the Targaryens, the Targaryens made it to um, Game of Thrones, but we don't know the how. And so the how could be very interesting. How we get here, how we get to Game of Thrones could be very interesting. I'm just not confident that they're going to be able to handle, handle it well in the show, which is why I'm eager to read. I'm considering reading the books. Anyway, let me just leave that there. I hope I didn't spoil. Well, I did. I did spoil some stuffs, but um, I'm going to put a warning in the show notes so that folks and actually I'm going to I'm going to save. I'm going to really save myself by doing a, a spoiler note in the very beginning and giving folks an opportunity to skip this. So anyway, um, just leaving a little note for myself. Anyhow. All right. So let me move on. Can I talk local? Can I talk politics for just a second? So just real quick, just real quick. The Herschel Walker, um, uh, Warnock, the Walker Warnock debates. They're not even debates. I'm, 
There's a piece of me that wants to feel sorry for Herschel Walker, but then there's another piece that's like, absolutely not. You knew what was in your back. You knew what was in your background. You was the fool that stepped up to to do all of this. So you getting what you you getting what your bad decisions wrought. Like, yikes. Anyway, um, and there's some interesting there's some interesting um, races that are happening around the country. Um, while the races here in Maryland aren't super, they won't be super, well, they only, the, the gubernatorial race is the one that's interesting um, here. And I'm curious to see how that's going to shake out. Um, there are many folks that think that Westmore is going to walk right into this thing. I'm way too jaded and pessimistic to think that, to allow myself to think that. I don't, I don't know that that to be true. Um, because Maryland is only blue in the center. It's, it, and there's a lot of people in central Maryland. A lot, the, the bulk of the population lives in central Maryland. But it's only, or at least the majority, not the, the yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, but it's only blue in the center. It's red, dead red. In the, in its, in the, in the, um, in Western and Southern, Western Maryland and Eastern, Eastern, well, Southern Maryland. Yeah, which is essentially, actually Southern and Northeastern. It's red. Again, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just blue in the center. Um, so anyway, we'll see how that shakes loose, but it would be very interesting very interesting indeed. I've never lived in a state, in, at my age, I've never lived in a state that was governed by a black, uh, a black politician, never. That doesn't mean that at some point I lived in a state that, no. Be, let me tell you, so I've lived in, obviously I was born and raised in Missouri, lived in Iowa, lived in um, New York State, and now Maryland. And Maryland, I think, has there ever been a black governor of Maryland? I don't believe that there's ever been a black governor of New York, and that would be the most likely next up to me. So no, I don't think so. I don't think I've ever, that would be interesting. That's not to say that I should ignore their politics because that's, Nope, you gotta you gotta pay attention to these things and what they're saying. Westmore has been talking a good game for the last two and a half years, three years for real, because he's essentially been running for three these last three years. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen. Again, I'm too much of a pessimist to just assume that because Maryland predominantly votes Democrat on a lot of issues, presidential races and a lot of just big time issues the the, the republicans the republicans have held the governor the governor's seat for many years 60s included like there's only um what's his name McNaught. no is it McNally no 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 again i'm not from maryland hold on what was old dude's name he was irish come on Governor, hold on, hold on, hold on. Maryland 
Freeland. He was like, there was a reference to him, governor, governor, governors, Maryland, Vern, Nor. Wow, I couldn't, I keep forgetting that R in the middle. Okay. I don't care about Larry Hogan. Okay, just Governor of Maryland. Come on, give me Governor of Maryland. Anyway, he was Irish. Why is this? My goodness. Okay, so you just go... Chew, bless me. Yep, I can't uh, think of... Is it Mc, Martin O'Malley? I knew it was Irish. O'Malley. So, well, hold on. How do you get to... Chew, bless me. I'm trying to get to the governor's. Kurt Smote. Kurt, did Kurt Smote ever? Hold on, let me think of Kurt Smote. Did he ever become governor? Nope. Kurt Liddell Smote. Elected office? No. I don't think ever. No. Anyway, I'm right. Anyway, so... Yep, and I was here in... Anyway, so Martin O'Malley was the last Republic or Democratic governor when I moved to Maryland, when I moved to Baltimore. Martin O'Malley was the governor, and he was in his second term. And what I know about Maryland politics is that there haven't been too many Democratic um, governors of the state. And I don't believe there's ever been a Black Um, governor of the state, which is, again, extremely important in terms of, for the simple fact that a large portion of your state is black American. Representation does matter. Maryland as a whole is, if I'm, I need to go back and do the math, but it's darn near majority. It's very close to being majority black and brown. Um, Majority people of color. And so, yeah, representation matters. It matters as much as much as anything. Um, your politics, because your your cultural background plays into how you will handle politics for all. It just does. I don't know why we don't think that. I I don't know why the default is, oh well, you know, it's totally fine to not understand someone's background, but that has nothing to do with how you will govern over communities whose backgrounds you don't share and you don't really know much about. What are you talking about? That don't make no sense to me. It shouldn't make any sense to anybody. But anyway, um, but that's not what I really want to talk about, even though I've already spent 10 minutes talking about it, it feels like. What I really want to talk about is the fact that there is a, we all need to pay attention to the ballot, to our ballots, the questions on our ballot in the United States. In addition to electing uh, individuals for political office, we are often asked by the city, by our jurisdictions, 
to weigh in on how to spend the money, spend our taxpaying dollars on a given issue. And if you're anything like me, you've probably missed the research, missed doing the research on some of these questions, um, which is a it's something that everybody's done, including me, um, several times in several elections. But um, so I've been alerted to an issue that I think is a really big deal. And a lot of people um, in Baltimore specifically uh, think is to the University of Maryland um, wrote an article about it. Um, WYPR, the local NPR station, did a series on it or did a story on it. Uh, the NAACP has weighed in on it uh, on social media and in news media outlets. Um, and it's question K. Question K, read your ballot. I read it for myself and the ambiguity in the language does leave a whole lot of room for interpretation. And on the face of it, it seems like a good idea, but it has the potential to um, create some, a lot of havoc and chaos in the political system here in Baltimore. And I don't think it has the people's best interest at heart. Although on the face of it, it feels like it. And the question goes something like this. Um, In a nutshell, the question is saying, hey, listen, we need to establish some term limits for people running for office. Um, You shouldn't have, you shouldn't be able to stay in an office for long periods of time, um, decades even. That's not, that's not good for Baltimore. That's not good for the political, that's not good for growth, um, for you to, to retain a seat for decades. And on the face of it, I think you're absolutely right. I think term limits are important. That's why we don't have dictatorships. That's why the president, the, the, the office for the, um, president, you can only run for two consecutive terms and then you have to sit out a race to come back. So essentially four years, right, to come back. But that is what that is the most powerful position in the country. One of the most powerful in the country makes sense. And we do not live in a dictatorship. We live in a democracy. And so I appreciate term limits for offices. What I don't appreciate is in this, in, in question K on the Baltimore city ballot, that if you voted for that, not only would it say, would it, in, it establish term limits, but it would establish, how can I put it? You could only run for two terms in office, period. So whereas, um, I'll use them as an example. Um, Former President Trump, former President Trump at the moment, because he doesn't have a record, um, could run for to become senator of Florida, to to be in the legis- the Florida legislature, if that's where he's still living right now. Um, he could run to be elected to some other office in Florida, or even in the in the uh, national government because that term limit was specific for the position of president. 
two consecutive terms. And actually, he, he hasn't even, he, he's not even done that. So he, he gets to start fresh. He gets to start over. Uh, former President Obama could run again if he wanted to because he's served his two consecutive terms. He set out an election. He could come back. Now, what happens is they don't often come back to run again, although he could. Although they, anyone who's served two consecutive, um, Bush, Bush Jr. could, could, could run again. He's not, but he could. Um, he could also hold another office in some capacity in the state that he lives, same as, same as uh, former President um, Obama. He could, but they're, they're not. They're not, they're using their influence in other ways, right? And so here we are. Um, question K on the Baltimore ballot says you couldn't run for anything. You could only run, you can hold, only hold office for a number of years, period. So if you ran and, and was elected to mayor and then you got elected again in a second term, that's all you got for Baltimore politics, period. You don't get to run for an office again if question K passes, which is reckless and a ploy. And what uh, WYPR is reporting is that this, this um, measure was submitted by a Republican by a Republican um, elected official, sure, but it's backed by Sinclair Media, which is a Republican news media giant across the country. And <clears throat> the implication there is that it's trying to influence Baltimore politics, because literally what would happen is if Question K was, was, um, if Question K was passed, every politician, every, every uh, council person, city council person, Every um, elected official, including the mayor, their term would end. At the end of this, at the end of this uh, election cycle, when it was up, everybody would vacate office, and everybody would be fresh in in the city government. Now, why is that a bad thing? If everybody's fresh, then nobody has any history. Because again, you bring in your own people to work up under you. That's, that's how it goes. When you come into office, you bring your people with you. <clears throat> it's not a good idea to start fresh. Even the United States government doesn't start fresh. Completely fresh? Completely fresh? No. Of course, you bring, again, you bring in your people. But there are still some folks there to help. To, to, to provide that, that balance that history, I'm literally talking about every elected office period turning over in the city. If you think they're think, you cannot think that things need to change that badly that everybody leaves. That's reckless and childish because Baltimore is not the only city that needs some serious um, economic uh, boost, a serious economic boost, and also a better crime plan. But do you know that the crime plan is not necessarily all on the mayor, although the mayor is the boss of the police chief. It's literally the police chief, y'all. That's the police chief's job. And again, a lot of people like to speak on Baltimore. And even people who live in Baltimore, they're not from this city. And I'm saying I'm not from this city, but I've spent my time getting, becoming embedded in this city. And you got to think less black and white and more gray. It's not just as simple as, well, get the mayor out of there and things are going to change. Get the police chief out of there and things are going to change. Although, well, let me leave the police chief where he is because the police chief does have a significant 
influence on what actually happens in the city, especially in terms of policing. But it's not it's, it's not as simple as resting on the shoulders of a few folks. And if you get a whole but if you get new people in that everything will be Jake, that's not how things work. And that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of in my life. But because it niche on the face of it, it literally just says, let's set some term limits, what everybody can agree on, what could can agree on. Term limits in itself are a good thing. There should be term limits to an office. But I don't believe that the minute that you serve eight years, you take all that history with you. You can't ever run for anything else again. That's reckless. Nobody does that. This would throw this city into chaos for realsies. It, it, it'd be a nightmare and it's not a great idea. So I'm spreading the word to everyone under the sound of my voice and, and anybody that I come in contact with who lives in Baltimore City to really vote, to really read the ballots. Actually, everybody should read all of the ballots because there's another measure that's, that's, there's a petition right now in Baltimore County. You know Baltimore City is own, its own independent um, jurisdiction. So Baltimore County encompasses all the cities, the small cities and little hamlets that are on the outskirts of Baltimore, right? There's a, there is a petition, it's not even on the ballot, there's a petition for there to be four more seats added to the Baltimore County County Council. Um, at the moment, there are seven seats and only one of them has a, a person of color in them. Yet Baltimore County has a growing Latinx Hispanic population as well as a large black population. And there's a growing Asian population. In, um, in Baltimore County, yet six of the seven seats are held by white people. There's no, there's no clear representation there. And so four more seats, while it won't, there's no guarantee that it'll go to um, folks that are current. So it's, it's Asian diaspora, I should say, because there's South Asians and then there are, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, the, actually, the, the Asian diaspora, the Asian diaspora, there's a gl- glowing, growing um, African diaspora population that's in the county. And of course, there's a growing Latinx Hispanic um, population in the county. It's big. These are big numbers and no representation on the county council. Again, adding those four more seats could mean that you just add four more white people, but it also gives you a chance to add some folks from the Latinx Hispanic community from the Asian diaspora, from the African diaspora, more folks from the African diaspora. It should be a no-brainer, yet they still don't have the signature. They need 10,000 signatures, 10,000 signatures. If you're interested, go to Vote For More, um, Baltimore County. Actually, I'll put it in the show notes. If you live in Baltimore County, this is for you. So in Baltimore City, make sure you are reading Question K before you turn in your ballot or before you early vote or before you vote on the day. Read all of those questions. Read all of those questions. Look into all of those judges. It matters. If you're in the county, make sure that you are signing that petition. And again, I'm going to put the link in the show notes, but make sure you're signing that petition. Get into it. You, you need more representation in Baltimore County. Those districts need to be smaller. Obviously, you add more, you add more reps. You have smaller districts, but it'll matter because you can serve people better. People in Southwest Baltimore County and Southeast Baltimore County deserve 
deserve more attention than what they're getting. It feels like Southeast and Southwest Baltimore County are like throwaway parts of, this, of the county and everybody's up over White Marsh and, and um, Reisterstown and Randallstown. Like that's where people pay attention to. And of course, Timonium and um, Lutherville and all of them. And Towson, of course. But like uh, Turner Station, Everybody knows Turner Station. Even if you're not from Maryland, even if you're not from the United States, you know that the dude, the the dude that played Elmo before he left, he left the the role in Scandal. He came from Turner Station. That's Southeast Baltimore County. Very poor, but historically black community, but very poor. Um, the, Ehrlich, Governor Ehrlich, lived in. Um, Halethorpe, which is a very bedroom, very blue collar community that's kind of isolated from the city a little bit um, in southwest Baltimore County. So the fact that there's not an, I just, I don't know why we haven't gotten here before, but here we are. And there's a chance for more representation. And I think that's a good thing. So if you live in the county, please make sure you're signing that petition. If you live in the city, make sure that you're reading the questions. Actually, all of us should read the questions. But Baltimore City, we got a big decision to make because this is literally changing the city charter. Question K is changing, amending the city charter. And it's a big deal. So you need to read it and make sure that if you're for it, you understand why you're for it. Anyway. All right. But let me jump over real quick, real quick. Won't take but a second. Can I jump over the pond to the UK? What in the world is going on with Liz Trust? Girl, you didn't only have the position for what? Two months at best? Two months at the most. And they already talking about voting no confidence. Your home secretary talking about you while she leaving the door to the, your administration. She going out the door talking stuff. Mm-hmm. Y'all all on Twitter and stuff. You're, you're, you're not PMs because the PM is the prime minister. MPs. I don't even know what the MP means. But anyway, that's the it, it, woo girl. Two months. You're not even two months in. Can you get a full two? A no confidence vote that I was reading the articles talking about she trying to make it to the weekend. So, oh, I love TikTok. I love TikTok because I've been list, I've been following along. There's some really y'all are kind of vicious, actually, but that's OK, because it's interesting. Um, but just following along, my goodness. Woof. Anyway, um. But girl, it don't sound like she was super qualified. It sound like if she was just shoehorned into that role. And if you, sometimes you just got to be honest with yourself. You know what I mean? Like you got to know, you got to understand your limitations. All right. Because otherwise you're going to get clowned. And it feels like we're in the clowning stage of um, Liz Truss's administration. And it's real early for that. But here we are. Um, and to think. This all, she literally, y'all, if you don't know what I'm talking about, the, the newly elected uh, prime, um, I don't know that she was elected, newly appointed prime minister, maybe she, I don't know, the newly installed prime minister for the, for the, uh, for Great Britain, mm, the newly installed British prime minister. Um, she has made a lot of mistakes and her home secretary on the way out the door um, of to her administration was like, girl, you made promises that we've been breaking. 
You ain't said nothing about it. You've been making mistakes. Ain't said nothing about it. Acted like, acted like everything is Jake and didn't nobody make no mistakes. And you know you doggone lie. That's not true. Um, and you need to be booted. And then more people. Somebody she fired. She fired her financial person, the top financial person, because they were messing up and caused the caused the markets to tumble and stuff like that. Caused uncertainty in the financial markets and the stock markets over there. And um, yeah, it feels real messy. It feels like a TV show, but only this is real life and real people are impacted. And it do sound like she need to go on somewhere. And then there was a vote, a vote on whether or not to allow fracking to happen. Right. And her conservative government was literally wrenching people up and, and uh, hemming them up and throwing them in uh, parliament so that they could vote in favor of her agenda girl if you two months in and you got to you got to hem people up to make them vote for you in your own party you might have lost the plot baby you might ought to sit down again it goes back to understanding your own limitations she should have never if this is where we are two months in you should have never you never had it to begin with baby and you was fooling your own self and again we must first be truthful to ourselves before we try to be truthful to anyone else and i just don't think i think she missed that step So anyway, all interesting. We will see in the by and by, won't we? Uh, Actually, if she make it to the weekend. So I'm going to be on TikTok like a son of a gun watching y'all. Because what is UK is what? Six hours ahead? Six hours ahead of the United States? I think so. Wait, hold on. My watch tells me. Yeah, it's four hours ahead. Now, I don't know where I got six. So it's four hours ahead. So, oh, buddy. So by the time this comes out, it will be Friday for, well, moving into Friday for the UK. So, mm, no, no, it won't. I'm tripping. I'm tripping. It's not moving into Friday. It'll be Thursday because uh, this drops on the Thursday. So it'll still be Thursday, but it'll be a late Thursday. So we'll see. We shall see. Anyway, um, last little thing is that I hope more people are paying attention to this, but there was a serial killer um, in the, the uh, outskirts in the metropolitan Kansas City area or the Kansas City metropolitan area. That's how I grew up hearing it said. Um, and there was a woman who fought for her life and, and saved her own life. And in doing so, was able to end the terror of... <sighs> of this man monster, a man who decided to do monstrous things to another human being, um, was able to capture him. And the way that she did it, and you need to Google this because not a ton of people are talking about it and more news outlets do need to talk about it because there was a pastor who's been talking about this for months on social media, had to take to social media because the local news outlet Excuse me, the local news outlets and the police would not pay attention. Sound familiar? Sound just like the Jeffrey Dahmer case? Sound like black pe- black and brown people trying to tell you that they need help because somebody's try- targeting them and it sounds like y'all, the people in leadership and who had the pos- power to do something about it ignored folks? Feels, feels about right. Feels about right. Anyway, um, so he gets caught because one of the women who was chained up in the basement literally had a collar around her neck, breaks out of the basement because he left the house to take his child to school. This monster, no, this human being who behaved as a monster, 
still had to take his child to school and was moving about freely. Nobody questioned him for real. And I guess she ran to a neighbor or something like that. And then she was saved from there and that she witnessed the murder of her two of her friends. And that this is probably the tip of the iceberg. So we need to we I don't know what to say apart from you believe people when they when they say something the first time. Let's let us believe victims first. Let us believe that we can always disprove a story after the fact. But there's no coming back from disbelieving someone who was telling the truth. And as, as a result, more people got harmed in the process. You don't want that to be your story. And I can't, I can't keep, I can't believe that we're still here in this day of things. But there's a reason why there are whole bureaus in Canada, in the United States, across the, in, in predominantly white uh, communities, or at least in the, the North America, that are devoted to finding missing black and brown, indigenous and and black and brown women. Because it's not a given that the system is going, the system and the police are going to act in the best interest of the entire community. So, So we literally have to have people create their own task force, forces and movements to advocate for these women, for these people. That's messed up. You know it's messed up. We both know it's messed up. I just thank God that this mon- this guy who's, who's this person that has decided to do some terrible things to other human beings is off the street. And I pray some good comes out of this because this has been ugly. Anyway, but let me switch. Let me switch gears and talk about Hellraiser. Um, I feel like the, the, the Kansas City serial killer thing will come back up. I'll talk about that probably next week, too. But let me just switch on to talking about Hellraiser right quick. Um, there's no rhyme or reason to why I watched it. I did not watch the 90s version of Hellraiser. But actually, I know why. Kid Fury was talking about it on the read. And I was like, let me go ahead and try to read some of this. And so I did. Or watch some of this. And so I did. And I have... I'm going to pull out some things that I don't know that are super evident or at least a part of the conversation when you when when you talk about scary movies. But because I have to I'm a scaredy cat, so I have to make sense of things. And so I'm going to do that in this uh, (laughs) review of Hellraiser, Um, because there's a lot to be desired in this film. But there's some interesting there's an interesting conversation that the director wanted us to have. And so I think I'm going to try to have it. So the next segment's all about the 2022 version of Hellraiser. Okay, so it's all about um, the 22 version of Hellraiser. And okay, so this is where we are. This is a very beige film. I'm just going to come right out and say that. Although there are Asian characters in it. uh, One of the Asian characters, you don't even know that they're, I guess you can assume that um, they're Asian, but they are um, the actress that plays one of the characters um 
is an Asian woman. And then there's another woman in the show that you, you get the sense that she's a part of the Asian diaspora, but she's a supporting character. Um, outside of that, there's another character who's looks like he's in the African diaspora in some capacity. He also might be in the um, Asian diaspora as well, or the Latinx diaspora. You don't really know. And again, he's a bit character. Like he, he has a part in it, but like he's a supporting character. But the main folks of the the main people in the show are beige. This is a very beige cast. Um, mm-hmm, there's no getting around it. Um, and I'm a little bit annoyed at what we're supposed to think in this show, but I do want to mention to, to, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me slow it down and just say this, especially as it relates to representation, you cannot ignore the fact that Jamie Clayton, a trans woman is playing the lead monster in Pinhead. Well, you can't really call them monsters, and I'll get into that in the in uh, as I get deeper into the film. But like, that's a big deal. She's playing Pinhead. Um, and and why do I even know Pinhead apart from reading the um, the cast and who they're playing? Is because although I never watched the '90s um, Hellraiser, I grew up with um, my best friend when I was in middle and high school, love that sort of thing. Always had all of the Jason, had every single one of the Jason films, uh, the Friday the 13th, Jason films, the Friday the 13th films, had every one of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, of course, had all scary films, all scary on VHS. That's dating myself, but whatever, I don't care. Um, We all get older. It's a part of life, praise God, that we are able to, some of us are able to get older. Unfortunately, some of us haven't Anyway, aging is a blessing. Let's all embrace it. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I never watched the original, but I heard all about it from my homegirl. And I never wanted to watch that film. I actually still don't because I feel like it's going to turn my stomach. But this film did not turn my stomach, although there were aspects of it that was gross. But guess what I did? I closed my eyes. You ain't going to get me. So anyway, but actually... I'm a scaredy cat and this wasn't super scary. It wasn't super scary because first off, there were commercial breaks. I watched, I watched it on Hulu. Uh, I have Hulu premium, but it still had commercial breaks. So anyway, it had commercial breaks and I just can't get that super scared about something that has commercial breaks. Although American Horror Story is an exception. Um, but any, I'm, I'm talking in a circle, but anyway, for... I don't particularly think that this Hellraiser was scary. I thought it was gross, more than scary. Um, so anyway, so, so yes, Pinhead, and I think it's a big deal because Pinhead was played by a woman and it's a big deal because Pinhead is a, tra- uh, the Jamie Clayton is a trans woman, which it's cool that a trans woman would be able to get this role without it being like a big deal. You know what I mean? Like it's great representation, but it everybody, if you're an actor, you're an actor, that's it. And so I didn't even recognize that this was, that this was her in the show. But anyway, it's still beige. Like Jamie Clayton, Odessa 
Azion, Drew Starkey, Brandon Flynn, Goran Viznik, Viz, Viz, maybe the J is silent, Viznik. That's how many characters? One, two, three, four, five of the people you see most of the time are beige. So whatever. But anyway, if you're into it, if you're into the story, then maybe, you know, maybe you didn't notice that. Or maybe you're like me and you grew up overlooking the fact that rep- that everybody was beige in the show. Everybody, everybody that had a lead character or that was a, every lead character was beige. Um, but anyway, um, I think. To be honest with you, I think I'm just going to focus on Riley since she's the main person. Um, And I don't know. It depends. I'll see how it goes. But anyway, so those are the actors. Jamie Clayton plays Pinhead. Odessa Azion plays Riley McKendry, the lead character. Drew Starkey plays Trevor, her fling of a person, Um, her, her boy toy, I guess. Brandon Flynn plays her brother who is supposed to be, he's gay. So he, he identifies as gay in the show. So again, the, they're, they're trying to push the conversation forward, but it's still very beige. Um, Gordon Viznak plays the mean rich person or the terrible rich person. And Oife Hines plays Nora, the uh, roommate who I believe is in the Asian diaspora. I'm not 100% sure. Selena Lowe is the Gasp, who we see a lot on the screen. Um, Adam Faison plays Colin. Um, Matt's, Matt McKendry's boyfriend. Um, and I think he's a part of the, the African diaspora somehow. And then there's Hiam Abbas, who plays Serena Meneker. And I think he, Hiam, is it Hiam? Or is it Hiam? Because there's no Y in it. Anyway, she plays, I think she's, uh, I think she's South Asian. She might be. I think she's South Asian. Anyway, um, she plays a role, but again, she's a supporting character. And then... Predrag Bejlock. There's a lot of Eastern Europeans in the show, it feel it looks like. I don't know who he plays. And then there's a guy named Jason Lyles who plays the Chatterer, which that was a scary character. He was scary. Anyway. All right, so those are the, the people who are in the Dagon thing, but I think I'm gonna just focus on Riley. Um and Pinhead. Alright, so if you did not watch the nineties version of the film. The premise of this thing is that a young woman must confront the sadistic supernatural forces behind an enigmatic puzzle box (coughs) (coughs) that is responsible for her brother's disappearance. So that's the plot, but how do we get there? Roland Voigt is how we get there. Roland Voigt, um, well, hold on, before, before, I go too far. This film has 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb. And you know how I feel about IMDb. 
it is 66%. It has a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, 66% from the critics score is the critics score out of 129 reviews from critics and 61% audience score out of a thousand plus. So this is decent feedback, a decent amount of feedback. And the critics' consensus is a gift for long-suffering fans after numerous subpar sequels. David Bruckner's Hellraiser unlocks the puzzle box for getting this franchise back on the right track. Yeah, see, I didn't even know that there were multiple because I wasn't watching any of them because the first one looked scary and gross. So anyway, um, it's interesting. The critic score is always a little bit higher than the audience score. But nevertheless, they're not too far off this go round. Being five points off or five percentages off isn't isn't wild, which means I think everybody's kind of in line with each other. So um, so that's Rotten Tomatoes. Fifty six percent on Metacritic. I don't even know what that is. Um, Or I don't know who pours into that. Yeah, it's, I don't even know who pours into this thing. Um, but yeah, 71% of Google users liked it. I wish instead of a thumbs up or thumbs down, there was a gray area. Because I don't like this film, but I don't not like it. I guess if I can say that I don't like the film, then I can say that I disliked it. Um... But I disliked it because of how we how we got to the end. Feels like there was some stuff missing. Feels like it, we could have gone a little bit further. But whatever. Anyway, I'll I'll explain in a second. So again, the plot hinges on a a single character who's plunged into this situation that they didn't really understand that they got themselves into. And now they have to play this sadistic game to end it. And it revolves around a puzzle box, which you know how scary stories like to take a banal object and make it deadly, right? And so a puzzle box in this film is the deadly thing that, that wields the power of life and death. And so, okay. Oh, there are. Well, shoot, let me just say. So this Hellraiser was released. What is it? Is it? When the heck was it released? Oh, September 28th. <clears throat> um, wow, it was released September 28th? Okay. Anyway, well, I just watched it recently, like within the last couple of days. Um, and I only watched it because I think I was ignoring the trailer's for it on Hulu. Excuse me for keep for continuing to yawn. I think I'm just ready to go back to bed. Anyway, <clears throat> I think I kept ignoring the trailers from Hulu until Kid Fury made his joke in last week's episode. And so I was just like, whatever, let me just, let me give it a try. But um, yeah, there are a bunch of Hellraisers. So it's the 90s. Well, hold on. Let me, where, where does it start? Oh, is it? This isn't a 90s film. This is an 80s film. I'm tripping. The very first one is 88. 
Yeah. The very first one is an 88. Then there's a 90. It's 88, 92. 88, 92, 96. Oh boy, so I see why people are just about fed up. 2000, 2002, 2005. There were two films that came out in 2005. There's a 2011 and a 2018. And now there's a 2022. And there's going to be a 2023. No, 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 this is a different one. So there have been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven films, including the original. Gross. Hellraiser Revelations. Hellraiser, Hellraiser 2. Hold on, this says Hellraiser 2. So when did the original Hellraiser come out? Because the 88 one is Hellraiser 2. Hellbound. What the heck? Hold on. Anyway, the point is there, there are probably 13. 13 um, Hellraisers in the franchise, including this, this latest iteration, which is supposed to be a remake of the original. Um... That's what I mean when when Hollywood takes a concept, they love to run that thing to the dirt and then get to to start over and tell the story again. Um, As remember, I just read the um, I just read the. uh, The critics consensus uh, for Rotten Tomatoes. And so, yeah, they get to do the same thing over again. And I'm just like, hmm. I don't know that this film needed to be made a bunch of times, but let me just play. Let's just play into the story. All right. So the power of life and death is in the middle. It is held in the form of a puzzle box, which is something that's supposed to be super, super. It's a child's toy. A puzzle box is essentially a child's toy that, um, I don't even know if they have too many puzzle boxes these. Oh, actually, that's not true. There's a whole YouTube channel or there's a whole YouTube lane devoted to interesting and unique puzzle solving puzzles, interesting and unique ones. Um, So there are ones that you hold in your hand and then there are ones that are huge and you have to solve them like like house size that you have to solve. We know that, um, yeah, there's like a whole industry, I think. There's a whole cool industry in Japan, I think, that's all about making interesting and inter- intricate uh, puzzles. It's just a it's just a thing that is something like part of the subculture across across the globe. And again, you can find it puzzle puzzle YouTube is is pretty deep. Um, I think you could you might be able to find remnants of them on Twitter and on Instagram and TikTok, but by and large, they're on YouTube. Anyway, so, but but yeah, like nobody really spends a ton of time watching or playing puzzles anymore, um, like those puzzle boxes. And so, you know, it's 
when the film originally came out, they were still all the rage in, in like everybody had, I don't know that everybody had puzzle boxes, but it was more popular, I would say globally, I think, than it is now. It's more of a niche market now, whereas in the past it was when the screenplay was written, it was probably, it was, seems as if it was a big deal. And so anyway, so you take this object that, that feels very harmless and you make it harmful. And so here's how you do that. So we meet the famous rich person, Mr. Voigt. We meet him at a party, but we don't meet him first. The first person we meet is this man who appears to be in his 20s sitting next to um a woman an older woman and at first you think this is this scenario is going to be one of those um Serena Men- Miniker he's sitting next to Serena Miniker and i think it's Kit Clark plays Joey i think it's Joey um so we meet Joey in the very beginning who is sitting next to Serena Manica, and at first you think it's one of those winter December dates, or winter, uh, what is it, winter December, uh, autumn spring dates where a, a distinguished older woman is being set up. She's a lonely woman and she wants a little action, and she's set up with this young thing who wants some a little action himself and maybe it's a paid sort of thing maybe it's just like a a hinge sort of thing you don't know but you think it's a you get the impression that perhaps it's a blind date but then as they keep talking you recognize he's actually here to meet her he probably has never seen her before in her life in his life but he's trying to meet her because he needs to go to see someone else to meet someone else at this fancy lavish little place and so she directs him to where to meet this other person. And so he goes. And that's the last we see of her in this frame. And we're following Joey. So Joey goes through this house and he gets to this portion of the house that looks like a maze. Or it looks like this intricate, like, Art Deco. Google Art Deco if you don't know what I'm talking about. But like Art Deco style foyer. Not a foyer. I guess it's like a sitting room that like a that has art pieces in the center of them all up on columns and in glass boxes and he um walks into the room and nobody's in the room but he's calling after this person that he's supposed to meet which is Mr. Voigt, Roland Voigt. And so he's in this room and he comes upon he comes upon a box is that how is is it a I'm trying not to get ahead of myself but he comes upon this artifact that is on a a pedestal but it doesn't have a glass case around it so naturally he grabs it and starts to touch it it is a box it is a box because he recognizes very quickly that it's a puzzle box and so he starts flipping things and switching things it's like it almost looks like a Rubik's cube um but it's a 
not a Rubik's cube. Anyway, so he's moving things around, twisting and turning it, manipulating it. And all of a sudden it clicks together. And in doing so, when it clicks together, a knife pops out and stabs old dude in the hand. And as this has happened, Roland Voigt comes out and he's looking upon him and he's like, you know, waiting for something to happen. Meanwhile, old dude is freaking out because he's got this big old nasty gash through the center of his hand. Now, I'm going to just stop right here and say his hand was bleeding way too much for the type of injury that he had. While your hand has lots of muscles and tendons, and of course, it's living, breathing things, so it's got blood can come out. The amount of blood is like cartoonish that comes out of old dude's hand, but nevertheless, you know, he's freaking out because he's got this knife protruding from his hand that has come from this box that he felt like should not have been harmful to him, only it's super harmful. So anyway, so blah, blah, blah. You get the sense that he wants something, that Roland wants something to happen. And so, but Joey just wants to get the heck out of Dodge. And so he does. He he try he tries to get up and and he pulls the the knife that is now embedded in his hand from the box out of his hand, and in trying to escape Roland and get the heck out of there, he ends up stabbing himself in the leg. And Roland goes to this little panel, and in this Art Deco room, he is. You get the sense very quickly that he's built this room to be a cage, and so he clicked. He clicked um, a button and, and, and locked some doors, I believe, or, or at least some gates came down to trap Joey in, in the room with him. And so while Joey is writhing in pain with not one but two wounds that are bleeding profusely and recognizing that Roland um, is not going to give him what he promised, I think he promised him like money or something like that because... Roland is rich and famous. And so while Joey is rolling around on the floor, excuse me, while he's rolling around on the floor, um, trying to get away from Roland, recognizing that he can't, and so he's in agony, Roland gets on his knees and looks skyward and begins to pray to whatever he thinks he's trying to summon to show their face and grant him what he wants. And the sky begins to rumble. He pushes one of his levers again and the ceiling opens up and you get the sense that something is about to happen, but we never see it because the scene cuts and we move to modern day. Um, yeah, we moved to we moved to modern day. And maybe you get the sense that this was oh, actually we I think we are told that it was like 4 years later. Um and we meet reckless old Riley. Um who her brother is worrying about and she's reckless because she's a recovering addict and she keeps attaching herself to people who could help who could make her relapse which is a real thing no one can make you relapse but they can certainly influence you anytime you're changing over your lifestyle 
you are trying to be a different person. You're trying not to do things that you used to do. Sometimes it, uh, that means changing your friend group. So there's, a, there's an aspect of this movie that I think is, is real because while, you know, a lot of films in the 80s had some moral, had these moral um, stories that they wanted to share that basically shared the tales of you being a promiscuous woman or you succumbing to drug addiction um, and see what happens when you become addicted. You see what happens when you, when, you, when you stray from the straight and narrow path. These things can happen to you. That's a lot of those 80s films had that, the, that moral that, that, um, as the backdrop. And so I don't appreciate that we spend the first after the scene with Roland and Joey and Selena we spend the rest of the the the, the next 20 minutes or the at least the next 15 minutes of the film talking about how much of a of a mess up um Riley is and how she needs to make better life choices because the reality of it is Making poor life choices is the reason why she has the puzzle box in her possession. Um, I think the issue of drug addiction is more serious than this film made it, but it's trying to be true to the 80s film and the 80s film didn't make it serious. Again, they made Riley seem like she was a joke, seem like someone she was just not a serious person and did not take her own health and well-being very seriously. That's how they portrayed her. And so, all right, so you flash forward and, and she's, she has alcohol problems and she has drug addiction problems. And there is, and, and she also, but she's, she's clean when we meet her. Or at least there's a perception, at least to her brother and her brother's boyfriend. She swears up and down she's, she's clean and she's living with her brother. So her brother is, you get the sense that the arrangement is stay clean. You got a place to stay. And of course, what is the first thing that happens to get this whole thing jumped off? So her brother tells her not to see, not to engage with this man that Trevor, who's clearly going to, is not good for her and can be the reason be a reason why she relapses. Now, relapse is not a straight line. Again, all these movies get relapse wrong in that something traumatic happens, boom, I'm I fell off the wagon. That's not how that's not how it works. It's not always one domino falls and then everything falls apart. Sometimes it's a slow drip that gets you there. And things aren't falling, they're just lying slowly over. They're they're they laying down slowly but surely one by one little bit by little bit over time and if you do not have a plan in place to support yourself and to catch when things are off in your own body if you're not listening to your own body if you're not setting up setting up systems in your support systems in your life to catch you as you start you start to slip you will relapse that's like a that's a that's a real thing. Relapse is a real thing. And what we know is that people who have been um who've been clean and sober 
or relapse free for decades some slowly but surely things can unravel to the point where bam they um relapse and so anyway so but that's more credit i'm giving this film more credit than it deserves because it did not treat her well so anyway the thing that catapults us to getting to the box and learning more of the box's use is the fact that she has a she does something stupid with this boy that clearly her brother knew was trash and he ended up being trash he takes her to this uh, this abandoned warehouse where they find the cube and they're gonna hock it they're gonna sell it um and split the proceeds which sounds like a dumb idea because riley was never riley was never there's no there's no notion that she was ever a thief or a criminal but again because it's she's this scenario is poorly written point a becomes goes right to point b all of a sudden and not only is she an addict but she is now into stealing to feed her habit even though she's not using anyway so they do this and then she comes in late and she's now she is using she's drinking she has this big blow up with her brother and it ends with her brother putting her out on the street and her being real, real childish. Um, actually, the whole thing is childish, if I'm honest, because anyway, the whole thing is childish. But she gets put out and she's in her car and she decides at first she decides I'm not going to take any pills. I got these pills, but I'm not going to take them. And then she ends up taking the pills, getting high, taking the box, playing with it and then getting high on the carousel not a carousel what is that what is that um it's a metal spinning object that kid merry-go-round she gets high on a merry-go-round and manipulates the box and of course of course after after um so she's in the park she's in the park she's high on a merry-go-round having manipulated the box and but she manipulated it but this time the knife came out, but her hands were on the other side. So unlike Joey, she doesn't get, her hand doesn't get impaled by the knife. And the beings that are behind the box, that are the origin of the box, whisper something to her in her dream saying, this, should, this is meant for you. If not for you, then pick somebody else. Um, because we want what we want. And... I think this is a good time to explain because the movie does not do a good job of doing this. But Hellraiser is based on a premise that they're, these aren't monsters, these are aliens. And this, this box is an alien object. And these aliens are sadistic. These aliens thrive off of pain and the pain of others specifically. So they thrive off of their own pain, but they get more enjoyment out of bringing pain to other people they come from a completely different dimension and this is how they get their rocks off so so now that you have that as a backdrop because again the movie does not do a good job of explaining that um so the knife that was meant for her doesn't get her and so she's high as a kite and i guess in his grief and his worry her brother goes to search for her and finds her blocks from the apartment 
high on the merry-go-round. He picks up the cube and does not see the knife and it cuts his hand and he begins to bleed profusely. And so they're in this park. So he goes to this restroom. You know how parks have restrooms. And anyway, so he goes to the restroom and it's dirty, filthy, stinking. And anyway, he's trying to wash off his hand and get the blood, you know, wash the blood off so that it can wrap it, I guess, tend to it. Riley is still on the merry-go-round high. And anyway, what we know about, what we know about um, Hellraiser is the minute that these aliens get blood on the box, the box sucks the blood up basically, which is what we saw in the opening scene um, that helped to summon them that um, the box soaks up the blood and is summoning the aliens and while her brother while Riley's brother is in the bathroom trying to clean off his hand an alien has been summoned and it takes him we don't know exactly what happens to, to him except that he's cut deeply um Yeah, he's cut deeply and then he's snatched by the alien. And then we pan back over to Riley, who is now like, oh, my goodness, where's my brother? And all of this stuff. Um, And somehow or another leaves police custody. Because while there's blood in the bathroom, we can't find a body, can't find a person. So she goes back home. Uh, Not at home. She goes back to the apartment of the dude that she's been fooling with Trevor and anyway so in her grief of the loss of her brother and her brother's boyfriend just being totally distraught and her and his roommate being distraught too she decides she goes back to Trevor's place because she's reckless again she's a reckless addict remember that's what the movie wants her to think wants us to think about her so she's she's reckless she's gonna continue to be reckless so she goes back to Trevor's place and you know they do to do And so, but in trying to do the do, she sees one of the aliens and, and it's like, you need to fulfill, I mean, what's up? You didn't did this. Let's keep going. So blah, blah, blue. We keep going forward. We fast forward and everyone's still trying to find, uh, Riley's brother. Even Trevor is, and Riley's brother is Matt. So even Trevor is joining in on the game, uh, trying to find Matt. And all roads lead back to Roland Voigt's house. And here's where it gets the bulk of the movie. The movie really picks back up again. Not So Matt is the catalyst for getting Riley to get to Roland. But when we get there, here's what we learn. We learn a couple of things. Number one, we learn that once you can reconfigure the cube once there are several there are at least five other configuration no six other six other configurations that you have to go through and each time a person has to be chosen to be tortured uh by the aliens and so one by one the people around riley are completing that um because it's her brother matt 
her brother Matt is taken. Then it's her friend, um, their roommate, um, Nora, who's taken. Then, um, then one of the Hellraiser, Hellraiser aliens. I don't even know what it's called, Hellraiser, to be honest with you. But, um, because the lead woman, the lead, the lead character, Pinhead, is called Pinhead, not Hellraiser. So anyway, I have no idea why it's called Hellraiser. Anyway, um, so it goes Matt, then, uh, Nora, then one of the Hellraiser aliens, and there needed to be two more sacrifices. So... Um, at the end, there's a lot of movie that I'm skipping, but there needed to be two more sacrifices to happen in order for the configuration to go back to normal. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, unfortunately, Selena was one of the, the sacrifices. Um, so yeah, Matt, Selena was next, then Nora. Um, and then we get down to the wire and one of the aliens is a sacrifice and then we're left wait so matt matt selena nora one of the aliens yeah yeah and then there needed to be two more and ideally it was going to be matt's boyfriend um matt's boyfriend colin and what it ends up being is Yeah, what it ends up being is instead of Colin, it ends up being Trevor because Trevor is the reason why Riley made it to the cube in the first place. Trevor is the uh, Trevor is the one that brought Riley to the cube. Trevor was always in league with Roland Voigt. Roland Voigt comes back. And I guess what we what we didn't find out in the first episode, we find out in the second or the first uh, opening the opening scene in the movie, we find out at the end that because we began in roughly in his art deco lounge, we end in his art deco lounge um, and Roland Voigt's art deco lounge. And we learn the story of what happened in the beginning. So Joey did the last configuration of the cube. And Roland successfully summoned the the aliens and he asked for infinite pleasure. But instead, what or sensation, he asked for sensation because the aliens give you a choice. And so he asked for sensation. And what ended up happening was they put this they ended up putting this device through Roland's chest. And he should have been dead after that, but he was kept alive. And they essentially started to string his nerves through this machine. And so he had endless pain. And Roland had hired um, Trevor to get some suckers seven suckers to go through and reconfigure the queue so he can call the aliens back and get grant get him to grant another wish basically and so his plan had worked up to a point but the aliens came back and and he didn't count on riley picking up or this person whoever the mark was which was in this case riley 
to pick up on the choices that she had um, to make. And so anyway, one of the choices was uh, lamentation. And another one of the choices was to be a Leviathan. And so Roland chooses, they, the, Trevor gives the last blood and Roland, or not the last blood, somehow or another, um, Riley switches who, who the punishment should go to. And she switches it from uh, Colin, who Trevor had set up, back to Trevor. Switches the punishment back to Trevor. And the aliens get what they want. And the CGI is awful in this film, by the way. Um, But anyway, maybe it's supposed to be a B movie. But anyway, so now we're just left with Riley and Roland choosing their next choice from the aliens. So Roland, who's a greedy rich man, he's a very greedy rich man, chooses the the Leviathan configuration. And... um, Riley chooses the the limitation configuration. And so what ends up happening is um, Roland becomes tortured. So they take, they take the apparatus out of the middle of his chest and he has some relief. And then they immediately plunge some chains and hooks in the middle of his chest and they snatch him up in the air. And so you get the sense that his suffering is not over. In fact, it's just beginning. And Riley chooses the limitation uh, configuration. And so she is literally left to live in moral and mental torment of the fact that her, the people around her, she got the people around her killed. And that's her punishment. And that's the end of the film. But, but, before we, we finally end the film, we see Roland transforming into this other being. And I guess he's become an alien at the end. I guess that's what we're meant to believe. So anyway, that's, that's the film. I don't know why it's called uh, Hellraiser. I, it's not scary to me. Um, maybe it's, gr- it's gruesome and grotesque. And so maybe that's interesting. And I'm wondering if this was a good adaptation of Clive Barker's original. Like, I, again, I never saw the original. It seemed too scary for me. I don't think I want to watch the original. But if you have watched the original, watch the second one and tell me about it. I want to know. Leave me a message. Um, in the, I, I want to know about it. I want to hear more about it because maybe I'm tripping. Maybe I'm doing too much. Maybe this was meant to be a B movie. And there's supposed to be some, you know, ridiculous takes and and um because there's just some really ridiculous it's it's grotesque and weird um I'll say that but maybe it's supposed to be that way and so I don't want to poo-poo on the film that it it wasn't for me but like maybe that you know somebody is living for this version so I'm eager to see if that's you um and so leave me a message in the show notes and tell me why you're living for this film. And is it as good as the original? And do you think that this is the way that this movie ended? Is this going to be a springboard for other sequels? I think so, based on how it ended. But you tell me. I, I look forward to hearing from you. 
But anyway, I've talked way too long. This this episode is like two hours and some change, so my bad. Um, so thank you for listening. I hope I was able to help you get through whatever project you were doing, boring project you were doing, or just help you to unwind. Um, if this wasn't your cup of tea, but you, but, but you know some, well, actually, if it was, thank you, rate it, uh, rate and review this show five, four or five stars and, um, leave a message. If it's favorable, leave a favorable message. Don't leave a nasty one. I won't read it. But if you, if you leave a good message, I'll, I'll read it aloud on the show. Um, also share this episode with somebody that, that likes the Hellraiser franchise and can speak on it. Um, because I'm curious to know how this 22 version stacks up against the 1980s version. Um, and also what the future of the Hellraiser franchise looks like. That'll be interesting. But anyway, take care of yourself. Be an informed voter. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Make good choices. Make good choices for you. Eat, drink water, sleep well, get you some exercise. Don't let these people worry you and be kind to yourself. Okay. All right. Until next time. Take care.